welcome back to yeah. Bon Voyage. Okay. Does that one count? No. Hello, welcome back to Bon Voyage. This time we're in person. What a relief. We are back together. I'm Rob. I'm Adam. And we have guests today. Say hello, Michael. Howdy, everyone. Pleasure to have you. Yeah, we're uh, in the middle of a heat wave and uh, watching one of my least favorites. Last time I did a ranking, it was the very bottom of the list. So I'm very happy to have people to watch it with tonight that I don't have to watch it by myself. Yeah, is this one we watched some of with the other? No, that was Octopussy. Right, right. Which is, we did that two weeks ago? A couple weeks ago. Yeah, and it's it's low on my list, but not the least favorite. It's this, very high on my list. <laughs> yeah? It's, it's one that's bad that I always go to. This one's bad, and I never want to watch it. I think I've seen the whole thing through maybe twice, which to a lot of people might sound like a lot, but it's probably... 10 less than every other one besides Thunderball. Hmm. Any any underwater scenes in this one? I don't think so. Not like not like Thunderball. Hmm. I'm trying to think. Hmm. No. There's some other That's not even bonkers. That's just slow. There's some bonkers shit in this one. Hmm. It's pretty crazy. So I feel like I can give background on this one cuz you've told me about it. So uh the last one we watched yeah, you only live twice. Was Connery's fifth one? Correct. And he was pretty tired of the role at this point. You know, didn't like the fame and all this stuff. Yeah. Left. George Lazenby did one yet to be seen on the podcast, and then uh, they threw a bunch of money at Connery. Tune in next week. Next isn't it's, <laughs> it's next. It's week. the next one. Yeah. Uh, so after that, they threw a bunch of money at Connery to come back because that one didn't go over so well at the time. So this yeah. is his return for money but his last one yes last one in 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 the canon in the canon in the eon canon he comes back 10 years later and uh has one with the other producer who left with harry saltzman the Mm -hmm. one that opens against octopussy actually that's never say never again which is like 12 years later and in this one he's pretty old like this is the one where his toupee is the most obvious (laughs) (laughs) what countries does this one take place in mostly uh, mostly America. This is mm. one of the few American ones. There's a bunch of Vegas in the desert. Mm. That's basically all I re- Oh, uh, South Africa, too, I think, because that's huh. where the diamonds come from. Right. Yeah. Interesting. I was just showing the guys before we started, I got my VHS down, and it's the only one that's empty. Uh, when I had to move out of my last place, I left the VHS in the VCR that was in my no. basement. And it's, yeah, one of the things I did not get in my separation agreement was my VCR for some reason. And like at whatever value village that thing ended up, there's a copy of Diamonds Are Forever sitting in that VCR. Mm. <laughs> I remember watching, this is again, one of the ones that I struggled to get through. So I would put it on in the basement while I was like making beer or whatever, mm-hmm. while I was kegging or bottling or whatever, I would have it on in the background and I kept trying to watch it. And uh, it's there's a lot of scenes in it where there's no, well, a lot of Bond movies are like this. They're hard to put on in the background because like 30 minutes could go by in a boat chase or something and there's no dialogue. So you're not really catching anything mm. if you're not sitting in, uh, in front of it watching. That was definitely the case with this one. Funny little story. It's kind of like a moving paint painting in the background or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Michael, what is your history with Bond and Bond movies and stuff like that? Um, do you have one? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't have much of one. You know, I, I remember watching someone like the History Channel on television. On the History Channel? <laughs> really? <laughs> Maybe it wasn't the History Channel, but one, one of those high number channels um on cable but um yeah i mean when i was roommates with rob we watched a few and um you know i'm a, I'm a generally a film fan and you know i i'm i'm into like analyzing any kind of film so i'm um i'm what, sure there's a lot to unpack what's your favorite 
genre do you like well first of all like we had one of our uh sort of frequent guests he's been on twice considers himself a big fan of movies but will not watch old movies Hmm. he just like he uh he was on last week actually like his eyes glaze over whenever it's 60s he just gets bored but do you like old films i do like old films um i guess one way i could describe the kind of films i like is i found this this list that someone <clears throat> made a photo of online, it was like 99 mindfuck movies, and they were like my favorite <laughs> movies, so. Well, that's kind of why I wanted you for this one. It's a bit of a mindfuck, especially since you haven't seen, you've never seen any Connery. I don't think so. Bond. It wouldn't have been with me. We watched a couple Craigs and a couple Roger Moores, I think. Hmm. Yeah. What would be a few of those like mindfuck movies that are your favorites? Um... I like David Lynch and David Cronenberg. Those are my favorite guys, pretty much. Um, but yeah. yeah. I, uh, you watched Octopussy with me, and I watched The Fly with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite Lynch thing? Um, probably Blue Velvet or Mulholland Drive. Mm, love Blue Velvet. I've only seen, I've seen all of Twin Peaks, cool. like, a couple times, and I've seen Lost Highway. Cool. That's it. I want to yeah. see more. Yeah. Are you, are you a Twin Peaks guy? I forget. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah right on. Well, nice. You two would have a lot to talk about. <laughs> That's for another podcast. Yeah, I yeah. guess. <laughs> uh, all right, well, aside from watching the movies, do you have any kind of affiliation to these as besides from me being such a bond dork since you've got to know me like do you have any memories of them or is your anybody in your family a bond fan or um you know i don't you know i don't have much of a history historical connection with with bond you know it's um it's it's something i'm uh, you know that i have appreciation for when i've seen but it's it's definitely not something that you know i grew up with or has been a part of my family really what are your uh, a lot of people who haven't really get in uh watch them they have certain ideas of it when they hear about it like misogyny sexism yeah uh, alcoholism all of the is that what comes to mind or like are you prepared for some of that or are you hoping to be surprised that it's not that there's more to it um yeah, I guess I, I've I've um, I've read some stuff w- that where people have brought up like you know some like f- feminist readings of of some Bond movies and and like the you know the how it presents women. So I, I guess I'm interested in in thinking about um, how women are portrayed in it. And uh, I'm trying to think. Well, that's one of the things we talk about the most. The mm-hmm. contrast between. Like there is a lot of sexism and violence against women sometimes and a lot like especially in today's context shit that just makes you cringe but at the same time very powerful strong lead females who have more agency than a lot of female characters have in movies today like mm-hmm. fully formed characters that move the plot they're not just background material i mean there are some characters mm-hmm. that are that but at the same time some of the best female characters ever are in this series and of course when people want to hate on something they'll you know, find the evidence that proves their point. And that's often, in my opinion, what happens with this series. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember we watched one and, and the the female character was so ditzy and clueless. Yeah. I wonder which one. <laughs> it sounds like a few of them. Yeah. It could have been Man with the Golden Gun. That was... Uh, it was, yeah. Miss, <laughs> Miss, Miss Goodnight. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that was a pretty egregious one. Yeah. She's pretty awful. Say some random person, or it can just be me. Who is James Bond? If somebody just asked you that, you know, even if you're not on a podcast, since you're not a fan at all, who is James Bond? What actor? Um, I guess Sean Connery would come to mind first. Yeah, you wouldn't say Daniel Craig just because it's the most recent? 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't, yeah. You wouldn't? No. No, you'd say Sean Connery? Yeah. That's a good answer. First one that comes to mind, yeah. 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 That's that's typically it. Unless you were a fan as a kid, a lot of people around our age answer Pierce Brosnan mm. because GoldenEye. Right. Being 90s kids, <laughs> you just think of Pierce Brosnan. But a lot of people would say Connery. Not a lot of people say Craig. Mm. Some might. I'm young enough that I would probably you, say that, yeah. Right, right. A lot of people wouldn't think of the whole... Like, most people don't realize there's been 24 of these things. No, oh, I didn't they, realize they, that. <laughs> yeah, they, they think it's just that James Bond is a character in spy movies. Most don't really look at it as a genre in and of itself, which it totally is, which Adam's finding out as... This is our 14th? That's right, yeah. number 14. Mm. Uh they have a formula, just like a horror movie has a formula or whatever. It's not just a spy flick. Like, there is a total formula that you begin to notice as you watch these. That's one of the reasons so, uh, so many people fall for it so much. It's, it's comforting to you have all of these things that, are, that always fall into place. Well, not always. I guess that's mm-hmm. one of the things we uh, discuss on this podcast, if it does fit into the genre. I, I actually was thinking about this today. The, one of the things on the outset of this podcast was the question of can you kind of create a fondness for bondness or does it have to be like nostalgic for you and i was thinking about how they're really not nostalgic for me like obviously right because this first first one was a couple months ago (laughs) yeah pretty much but i was thinking about how in a few years if, when a Bond movie comes on, it's going to be really nostalgic. Totally. Because I'm sure I'll be long, like far away from Rob as far as I can be. Uh, <laughs> we'll be on season five by then. But. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> but it'll, yeah, it'll bring up all these memories and stuff like that. Yeah, that's it'll true. Be really that's, a nice, that's a nice point. Yeah, they'll, you'll find they have a lot, even ones like, well, no, not even ones like this. The, contradict myself from what I just said 10 minutes ago most of them have a lot of rewatch value that's why another reason why it's so beloved in uh, in the community like mm. unlike a lot of films in a lot of genres you you get it you watch it once and you're good but there's so much more to catch as if you listen to these episodes the way we break it down we miss a lot and uh, especially the little nuances that they throw in the cool sets and set pieces and clothes and cars and all and- of that and especially that there's so many of them because it's not just connections within the film you can connect it through the other films like that's like that's what gets me going yeah and the way we've been watching them like you were saying the other day like i don't remember daniel craig at all as bond because those were the first two we watched Mm -hmm. it's it's especially hard uh watching them in the like figuring out a good order to watch them i've tried i've kind of contrived this chronology that we're doing like trying to make his career kind of realistic and uh it's hard to watch them in this order because like this is the last Connery one and we've still got 10 to go. Mm-hmm. We've so, seen one Pierce Brosnan, one Timmy Dalton, not even the Lazenby yet. Right. We're going to be done with Connery. So in 10 weeks or eight weeks or whatever, you're going to forget what Connery's like as a Bond. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh, you've, oh, that's what I was going to ask you, Michael. So you've listened to a bit of the podcast, you know, kind of what you're in for. Yeah. Yeah. I listened to, um, parts of a few episodes and i kind of got the the format down is this the first time you've done a podcast yes oh cool mm, interesting what a pleasure <laughs> um we ask every guest if they're up for trying to do a summary of the movie when we come back you down to try to follow along and see if you can come up with a summary yeah or, yeah i'll try to i'll try to make it right up on. in my own style <laughs> we yeah we've got paper and stuff so but we're trying to do that less like when we first started we were trying to develop a 
some sort of format to this show. Mm -hmm. So we had like things that we always want to talk about and we would make note of it as we see it. But the longer we do this, we don't do that so much. It makes viewing it a bit less fun if you're constantly taking notes and then you end up just reading during the podcast and it seldom makes sense. So don't like obsess over it and take too many notes. Just Mm. jot a few Mm. things down here and there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's harder than you think. Try to do... and. This is not an insult to our former guests, and anybody who listens should know because I can't summarize either. I tried to do, on our seventh episode, we did a summary of our first six movies, and I challenged myself to do it in three minutes. I couldn't get through one of the movies in three minutes. (laughs) I'm terrible at summarizing, but try to be brief. Like I've got the VHS here. Imagine you were writing the back of it. Mm. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll try to do it in like a sentence or two. Oh, wow. All right. (laughs) That's good. Not that it will be concise, but it'll... (laughs) That's fine. Like run-on commas and stuff. (laughs) On the back, there's a picture of a lunar craft. So if that gets you a little (sighs) bit excited. We're going back to space? We're not, no. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Can I say? All right. Oh, uh, you know, if you want to, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, 007BonVoyage, or email us at 007BonVoyage. Send in some tips, Mm -hmm. questions. Praise, criticism. That was at gmail.com. What did I say? You just didn't say the email. Oh, well, all right. You'll find us. I'm not much of a plugger. (laughs) Uh, The email, Instagram, and Twitter stuff's on every episode that we release, so find it there. And we'll be back in a few seconds. See you soon. Later. Okay, we're back. We had to double check that uh, everything was recording because we do not want to have to do this one again. You, you just made that joke two seconds <laughs> yeah, no. ago, and it's <laughs> I, and I was like, "Damn, I should have said it then." Yeah. Okay. Well, now we got it on tape. Now, now they're now they know my process. They, don't let the people know that this is not organic. <laughs> yeah. This is all actually a scripted podcast. Oh my god! Can you imagine? <laughs> if so, we're horrible scriptwriters. I guess you heard my first thought. Oh well. I did want to start with a positive. Uh, Sean's better in this than I remembered him. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Better in, in what ways? I remember... Well, maybe I've just seen too many documentaries and read too much about this one. Uh, he's always accused of being checked out, tired, bored, sick of the role, phoning it in, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I got that in a lot of it, but not the whole time. He was the best part of this movie. Mm-hmm. It's, fu- it's funny because so this was the seventh... Sean, or the seventh Six. movie, sixth Sean Connery. Yeah. Right? And the last one we watched last week was the fifth movie and fifth Sean Connery. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Uh, and you said that last time that he was checked out. Again, I think I'm regurgitating what well, I hear. That's what I mean. That was not my experience at all. Like, he's fine. With this one, too? Yeah. But if you go back, if tomorrow, I'm not at all suggesting we <laughs> do that, especially after this one. But, uh,. Like if you watch Dr. No or From Russia With Love or Goldfinger, the See, energy is definitely different. But he's still cool, and yeah. I believe him. I think he's just, it almost works because he's an older, more tired agent. Especially in our chronology. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What are your first impressions, Michael? Um, is is Sean Connery always that shiny in, uh, <laughs> in Bond movies? Uh, Adam? <laughs> Is, uh, you, you've seen them all now. I wouldn't. How do you mean shiny? I, like sweaty? Just seeing how how the light hit him. It, it was almost like he didn't have like powdered makeup on. He was just shining all the time. I thought they were shooting in Vegas, so they were sweaty. But uh, <laughs> I feel like he's pretty shiny, pretty often. Yeah, I guess he often is. I mean, 
everything, all the textures in this movie were different, I found. Mm. It looked like it was lower budget than even Dr. No was. It didn't look good, in my opinion. Mm. I, I didn't really notice it with his... I noticed his toupee, and he's a bit heftier than he was before. Mm. That's he, we, we didn't get shirtless Sean in this one, that's for sure. Mm. We, well, oh, we, no, did. we did, actually. We did. That's but it was how always, we knew it was chubby. Right, I guess. Now, I was just thinking of the shirt. We totally had him. Never mind. It didn't look as bad when he was shirtless. It, is it? Was it, like, um, factually, like, one of the lower budget ones? I don't think so. Hmm. No, they threw a lot of money at it to try to bring everybody back. Like, look at all those diamonds, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, have you seen a Sean Connery Bond before? Um... I don't. I don't really recall if I have. I honestly. So did you like him as Bond in this? Um, you know, you know, you said that, um, to you he felt checked out. It's kind of hard for me to to like see him as that because I have I don't really have anything to compare it with. Right. So I I don't know. I guess I part of me doesn't really know like how much is of that is intended from production. Sure. Or, sure. So. So you couldn't really say, but. Couldn't attest to that. So aside, like, don't don't think about uh, the act. Well, do think about the acting, but not whether he's checked out or not. Does it work for his character for what you see as James Bond? How, I mean, him being checked out is a part of the James Bond character. It's not even necessarily a criticism. Like that's yeah. just how calm and cool and confident. Kind of nonchalant. Is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, there were uh, there were things I appreciated about it. You know, the the character. I, he didn't really like captivate me in in a real way. Yeah, I I was conscious of you being here with us, having never seen another one. This is not one that I would recommend to people who haven't watched the movies. Right. Like, you didn't. Well, we didn't cover this in the intro. Actually, you don't know who the hell Blofeld is. No. Uh, so the pre-title sequence where he's like on a hunt looking for Blofeld. Uh, and how everybody knows who Bond is and his relationship with M and how awful M is to him, all that stuff, you have no idea. And uh, I don't know, lost my train of thought. But yeah, it's not one that I would recommend to people who haven't seen a lot of the other ones. It's not a good first Connery one, for sure. No. I don't I, know that it's a good sixth Connery one. <laughs> I actually, I like it, for, just in terms of Connery, I like it better than Thunderball. Really? I probably like it better than last week's one. You only live twice. Wow. Yeah. I don't... Maybe as for Connery, I might. I don't know. I remember really liking Connery in Thunderball. But those other two, even Thunderball, even though it was boring, was a better movie. I don't know. Oh my God, this is something. I We're going to get more into like the details sure. and stuff, but I kind of liked this. It, it's weird because... Like you said in the intro, it's a heat wave, long day. We uh, we always com I complain a lot about that, <laughs> but uh, I can tell that if I was a little less tired, I would be kind of pretty into it. Right, right. Mm. If if we had uh, fans who wrote in more often, they'd be like, guys, just change your schedule. Stop doing it after work on Mondays. <laughs> You're yeah, so tired all the up. time. Yeah. I definitely felt um, similar to how I have in, in other Bond films, which is like kind of kind of confused by by like the the pace and like constant um evolution of the plot that that's like a lesson i've learned is that you can't pay too close attention to the plot and it, you have to let it coalesce in the back of your mind a little bit and don't look it's like an eclipse or something it, don't look directly at it <laughs> yeah and if there's something missing 
three quarters of the way through, don't worry, it'll probably show up at the end. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's often a missing element where you're like, wait, is this really just about diamonds or whatever? And then you find out, like in this case, it was he was using all the diamonds for a giant space laser. Yeah. 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 Like, do you, like, do you feel like you miss out a lot when you, like, zone out on dialogue? It's like, what, like, what, what is, like, the most important thing to pay attention to to That's, follow the plot, do you find? I think, um, so when we've been, the past couple that we've been doing, like, on our own at, like, remotely or whatever, I've been using subtitles when I watch it, and that helps me catch a lot of more details. Because there's, like, weird names and crap that you... And accents and... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bad ADR. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's, again, like I was saying in the intro, one of the reasons that you watch it so many times is... Especially as a kid, and even now, I get distracted by sets and mm. uh, shooting on location and like what weird stunt guys are doing in the background that I forget to pay attention to the dialogue. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't get lost in the dialogue. I get lost in all the other stuff that's going on on the screen. Yeah. So, and then all of a sudden, they're, you know. Like why are at the why are they at the circus or something? It's sure, like, there yeah. was like one line that was like, "Why don't you go to the circus?" Especially, <laughs> especially when there's there's a lot of set pieces in these movies and action scenes that bleed into one another. Like we had the desert chase, and then all of a sudden they're in the city, and nothing happened in between, and it ends up being a twenty minute or so chase, and you forget where we were before that. Yeah. Okay, now they're at the White House. Did they go to Washington? Oh no, that's the uh, hotel magnet guy's yeah. place. It's yeah. yeah you, I I often uh, praise these movies for not holding your hand, but sometimes it is a bit of a detriment. It makes you feel like you missed something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's definitely the the visual storytelling aspect too, which is like, you know, it'll it'll show a quick shot of of something just with hands and like putting something in a safe or something and that pushes the plot forward. Sure. Which like I was saying, that's one of the reasons it's hard to watch these movies in the in the background. You have to af- actively be watching it yeah. and not get too distracted. Again, have to if you want to follow the plot minutia, right? Like, if you just want to have a fun ride, which is, I would argue, kind of more what it's about, then you don't really need to know, like, details and, and stuff that's, like that. That's totally fair. And that's what a lot of people yeah. are into it. Because at the same time, and this is something we've said before on previous episodes sure there's like this some subtle dialogue or subtle hand gesture that moves along the plot and then there's a 25 minute car chase that doesn't move along the plot at all right the reason why other people are in the seats who want to see that stuff exactly some people want the story some people want the 20 minute boat chase (laughs) yeah i would often think that like oh this is the the, you know the the blonde you know lady character and then another one gets brought in another one's get guns brought in it's like one just keeps coming back again and again and again you think she's done and she keeps coming back (laughs) um yeah um the one in the beginning was was i I kind of like got lost a little bit on her character like was she was she like an agent of some kind or which one tiffany case the o'toole plenty o'toole yeah black hair like in the casino yeah no, she was just like a hustler at a casino. Oh, true. Yeah. She's just a lady who wanders the floor and, you know, she's like, that's a motif and I'm sure it actually existed. It's in a lot of movies that take place in Vegas in the 60s and 70s. That was a role that they were like, not exactly call girls, but they hung out and were on dude's shoulders and like, 
wish them yeah. luck and they were like their date on the floor and the guy if you know she brings them good luck they tip them kind of thing right i think she was just that kind of role mm-hmm. yeah. okay true. maybe like i was that. just expecting that was plenty of tool yeah. Anyway. yeah should we struggle through a summary oh, together sorry, so that we can yeah want to give it a stab uh, i don't know if, if i'd be able to to give um uh, something resembling a, a, a plot summary i mean a, a lot of the plot i was i was kind of um like kind of like 10 minutes behind i feel like yeah, yeah. it's a tough one <laughs> do you want to try one or i i could give this one a, i want well i say i think i can do a fast one but then i possibly couldn't so um well, let's do it together um so okay pre-title sequence blofeld gets killed and he's changed his appearance from last time we saw him. Yeah. Uh, so, Bond on the manhunt for him, yeah. right from where we left, kills him. Finds him, kills him. Cool. Well, won't try to say anything. Nope, we'll come it. back to it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or did he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we open to Bond is like, just got back from vacation. M's like, well, Blofeld's dead, so will you deal with some other bullcrap about diamonds? And yeah, super like, important stuff, like... Help yeah. us like figure out who's smuggling diamonds. Yeah, some other guy's money problem. Yeah. And Bond's like, fine, whatever. Then what, where does he go? To... Uh, well, this scene I actually liked quite a bit. Well, so, so, let's not right. get bogged down. And you want to just do a quick the... summary? All yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, somebody's smuggling diamonds. Uh, part of the operation is in Amsterdam. This guy named That's Franks. Right. Go to Amsterdam. Intercept, takes, yeah. Takes his identity. Assumes the identity of this guy who's been smuggling. Mm-hmm. Meets Tiffany Case as Frank... No, as Franks, Mr. As Franks. Franks. In the midst of that, has to kill Franks. Yeah. And makes it seem like James Bond has been killed Again. to Tiffany. Yeah. Which yeah. is funny because he died in the last movie as well. James Bond did. <laughs> uh, with air quotes. Yeah. They <laughs> um, proceed with their smuggling plan, smuggle some diamonds to Vegas. Yeah. They go to America where Felix Leiter lifts the diamonds. Right. So the CIA is in on it and Bond is, you know, successfully infiltrated the smuggling scheme. So it yeah. seems. Yeah. It uh, turns out the diamonds are fake, which I think was the plan. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, and then... Uh, Lighter took them. Then they, yeah, then they go to Vegas to... All right. So we're to trying to do confusing. it real quick, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. So some flipping back and forth about whether the diamonds are real or not. Eventually, we haven't even mentioned Wint and Kid and all the assassinations. Slowly, the people within the original smuggling ring mm-hmm. are getting killed off one at a yeah, time which is kind of why bond is on the case is that why he's on the case yeah there's at some point he said he says something about how all these people are dying he says that later but m doesn't yeah. send him there knowing that at first it is just a straight up they think he's there to figure out a smuggling ring mm-hmm. and it turns out that it's something bigger than that the mm-hmm. smugglers are actually being robbed as well mm-hmm. by these two weirdo hench people assassins Yes. So they're slowly picking off everybody in this smuggling ring. Tracks the di- oh, he tracks the diamonds. They, they uh, Tiffany takes the real ones. They're stolen from the people who keep stealing the diamonds, and uh, Bond tracks them to this desert facility, this moon weirdo yeah, this weird lab facility weird base. thing. And he sees the professor dude take them out. So he he knows that this organization posing as this hotel magnate. Yeah, Wilfred White Wilfred or something. White, yeah, they now have the diamonds. Uh-huh. He escapes there in a moon buggy. Yeah, there's big chase. Then climbs up to the top of the tower to confront Wilfred White. Turns out it's been Blofeld all along who's been stealing the diamonds. And also has a 
clone of himself and yes. his pussycat. That's right. Which is great. Yeah. Uh, so it's Blofeld, and then Blofeld has captured James Bond, but he is, escapes? Or? Yeah, he sends him into a... We'll that, talk that's more right. Okay, that he tries after. to kill him on an elevator. Uh, Bond escapes, goes to... Uses a, one of the gadgets in this one as a voice box to pretend to be... Yeah. Uh, one of one of Blofeld's guys. One of Blofeld's guys, and then uh, goes to go assassinate Wilfred White, but is actually rescuing him. Yeah, Blofeld's going to assassinate to kill him. He's he's not worth uh, keeping alive anymore. Bond knows it's about to happen, so they go to rescue him. Uh, almost thwarted by Bambi and Thumper, but manage to save him. Mm-hmm. They and then they kind of actually get on to what Blofeld is up to, which is this giant space laser. So basically, Blofeld, you know, leader of Spectre guy, had taken over Wilfred White's like corporate empire in order to, I guess, smuggle diamonds and use his resources to build and launch a satellite, which is the so the diamonds are being used as part of the space laser, of course, yes. which is then being used to blow up. Nukes. missiles and nukes and stuff on earth and the whole point of that is to kind of hold the great powers of Super. the world as ransom uh and be like whoever you know pays the most money will not shoot your nukes down and you'll have nukes so but blofeld's other part of it is like i'm just gonna blow everyone's nukes up and there's gonna be world peace well i guess and then no that's what his partner thought when really the whole time he just wants Money or something. Well, and to rule the world. That's always Blofeld's thing. To be yeah. the one. He wants war between the great superpowers and for him to emerge as the only powerful dude left. Does he ever actually say that, though? Uh, I guess not. Maybe he does. He's alluded to it in the other ones. Certainly his underlings have. I mean, that's like what Dr. you assume Like Dr. No talked that... about it. And number two talked about it in Thunderball. Mm-hmm. That's always the big plot. And from Russia with Love, it was the plot. I mean, classic villain thing. Yeah. Anyway, so that's what the plot is, and then he's foiled. Bond stops it, yeah. yeah. Basically. basically, it's uh, Blofeld is at it again, smuggling diamonds, yeah. uh, stealing diamonds from gangsters or from thieves to build a space laser. That's the <laughs> And Bond stops him. That's about it yeah. in a nutshell. I think. Yes. No, I think that's right, yeah. Diamond smuggling turned space laser turned Bond wins. Okay. Okay. As per usual. In a sentence, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got there. We got there, okay. kids. All right. That was only good. Probably like 12 minutes Yeah, or that's something. not so bad. Not so bad for us. How long does it usually take to summarize a Bond movie? It's well, gone from the entire episode yeah. to, you know, 10 minutes. 10 minutes would be yeah. a really short one. Yes, that's right. And yeah. yeah, this one's, yeah, that's a tough one. I, I don't even know where to begin. So, um, what are your tip? Like, why don't you like this movie so much? What's well, the I, problem with it? There's nothing. So, I just did a ranking again today because uh, this was happening on Twitter of my favorite movies. And even though I knew we were watching it tonight, I still put it on the bottom. The other one that's often there is Die Another Day, which you haven't seen yet. It's Brazi's last, and it's got like. It's got the worst of the worst of the worst of the whole series. It's just bad from, uh, well, from like after the pre-title sequence on. But it's fun and like things that are worth watching for sure. This one, like the best parts are not worth the rest of the parts, in my opinion. Really? Well, so like I loved the buggy chase and I really like Sean Connery through most of it. But 
it's awkward too. It's so awkward. So many the Bambi and Thumper fight. Why? Why so long? Why so many long close-up shots of, shots of one of them doing her weird little moves? And it yeah, looked, that was pretty funny. Yeah, I've heard people like praise that scene, and I don't get it. It's just uncomfortable. And they were like completely destroying him, and then he's drowning them right after. Uh, and the, I don't know. It's so silly, and there's not enough reward for the silliness. I guess I. I mean, it's no surprise, but I like the silliness. Yeah, I know like I do. you said the you said the buggy as a highlight, the buggy chase. Ooh. Man, like that's when I look away. <laughs> like I get I get bored. Like I'm like, yeah, they're chasing around in these vehicles. Okay, but it was, cool well, story. You know, I love stunts and shit, uh, and I like off roading. I did as a kid and that's in right. my early twenties, four wheeling and off roading and souped up <laughs> trucks and crap. Uh, watching those cars not be able to handle the desert at all, and he's given mm -hmm. her. And then the three-wheelers come in. Yeah. I used to drive a three-wheeler when I was a teenager. I don't know. It's a little nostalgic and fun, I guess. And him, like, drop-kicking the guy off the three-wheeler was pretty funny. And it's just so... Like, you say you like silly. What's more silly than Sean Connery's amazing cool bond? Like, the guy who defined cool is now in a friggin' moon buggy and just his little head is up there. It looks like R2-D2 on the top yeah. of the... Yeah. I remember we watched one Bond and it was like consistently silly throughout. Octopussy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and this one was kind of just like a few scenes that like kind of like catch you off guard with their silliness. And it's like, this wasn't really consistent with the rest of the story. Yeah. That's, I, that's what we talked about in Octopussy. Of part of what I loved about Octopussy is it was consistently silly. Where a lot of these other ones, like, like that was the thing in Octopussy exactly, was there was the serious moments were out of place because it was a silly movie. Right, Where right. in other Bond movies, the silly moments are out of place because it's a serious movie. This one's a bit more like Moonraker. Like, a lot of it actually could be a legit grounded Bond movie, and then out of nowhere, they're up in space with lasers and shit. <laughs> Yeah. Like, Moonraker was a grounded, normal movie until he got to the base and then they went to space. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Well, Jaws. I mean, Jaws and all the sillies. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. So, you already talked a little bit about Sean Connery and everything, but what did you think of the movie overall? Besides, like, the convoluted plot and... Um, did you enjoy yourself? Yeah, you know, I, I'm i not usually one for, like, action, but, but you know, like, I... For sometimes you know I, I like I can enjoy it but you know I I definitely had some I definitely enjoyed like paying attention to like film language in it and like how it tells a story and like how it really like follows the like rules of continuity and and um and how that that really like makes such like a rapidly paced plot so that's like interesting for me to to like to see like um you know how they use that language and like how it like confuses me at times and like <laughs> and what about it is like <laughs> i feel like maybe i'm not no that's great yeah. what, what do you think of the since this is certainly the first time you sat and really paid attention to the point where you're taking notes to any bomb movie how do you like the Formula. I was saying in the, you know, with your pre-title sequence, then you've got a title sequence, an introduction to the plot. Mm -hmm. And then as you were saying, like, it's not a typical three-act structure where you've got a goal that's accomplished, then a new goal that's accomplished, and then your climax. It's, it's not like that at all. Like, it, you think that it's about one thing, and then the twist at the end where it ends up being a much bigger thing. Uh, like, hmm. It gets bigger and bigger in steps. Right, right. Yeah. For me, it's, it's so much to process. And and um, 
I think to, to formulate my own thoughts, you know, I, I need some time to reflect on things. So, <laughs> One of the hard things about this format yeah, of this podcast. It's, yeah. it's so much to process, like, uh, you know, visually and, and like the dialogue and, and like, and um, continuity. It's, it's, um, it's a lot to take in and like, and I, I do think that this, that's one of the secrets to the success is how much they throw at you and how much there is. Like people in the 60s seeing this were just overwhelmed For when the majority of films were still being shot on studio, you know, on a set, most mostly closed sets or whatever. To have this huge world open up with all these, they're globe trotting, you know, they go all around the world and huge elaborate plots. It, like people didn't know exactly how to feel, but they know they're feeling something yeah. <laughs> when they leave. There's so much to process. Mm. And that adds to rewatchability too, for sure. Absolutely. I, I don't know how much that would matter in the 60s. Like, I don't know if people were like going back to the theaters they, every day. Well, movies used to stay in the theater a lot longer than mm -hmm. they do now. They, and they were cheaper. They absolutely would go and see the same movies again and again. Because, again, they didn't have VCRs. They didn't have VHS. You, yeah, if you yeah. were going to see it, you had to see the theater. Hmm. So people would go again and again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like Star Wars, I remember reading i forget how it almost played until the next one came out really like a year or two or whatever yeah you, you could go over and over again yeah it I, it had a nice vibrant color palette almost like reminiscent of wes anderson it's like really saturated colors yeah. and um like like a lot of variety of, of of colors and um like definitely a lot to a lot to, to take in and that way yeah for sure. sure i appreciate it yeah their uh attention to detail on set and colors and all of that is mm. another reason people come back yeah yeah the costumes and everything w would you say um you know the film all, the films are usually pretty consistent with like c camera work and like cinematography and color i feel like there's some consistency and there's also quite a bit of like variety and experimentation even within like so like all the connery bonds have some through lines like some of his outfits or some of the aesthetics and stuff like that but even like this one they were talking about the diamond thing at the beginning when they were getting the mission at m's office and there was like shots of like the diamond mines yeah i wanted to mention that uh, when we were doing the signery so, sorry the summary <laughs> yeah because yeah that's not something that usually happens in in the connery bonds especially i think there was was it some roger more no it was, was it last week with the the yeah, helicopter the little nelly oh that's right they also yeah, had yeah. some shot kind of like that yeah it's rare for them to explain something and while it's explaining you see that happening like they that's not a thing that they do very often yeah but speaking to your question the later on especially although the film before this is renowned honor majesty secret service is renowned for its cinematography i forget who did the cinematography on that one but then there's skyfall as well some of the later ones they're shot very differently mm. yeah uh the directors have quite a bit of control with that and their dps um like there's some like you were saying there's some through lines like the score is often quite similar similar because mm -hmm. it was john barry forever the same guy was doing the score same guy was doing the pre-title sequences for a long time the sets ken adam was the uh, the set designer there's a lot of people who had the same gig for several films, but the direction is sometimes quite different. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in general, like the same group of people is kind of in charge of what's going on, right? Like broccoli and yeah, yeah. The production company is the same. Mm-hmm. Especially, well, his last movie was Goldeneye, I think. Like he did the first seventeen before his daughter took over. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so he, he got to see one Brazi. So when we go to some of those newer ones again, there'll be some because I mean. Bit- from what I remember, the Craig ones obviously are like way different than like the Connerys. Yeah. But yeah. like, there is like an arc to it, right? Because even the Roger Moore ones we've seen, there's differences between them for sure, but there's also a lot of similarities. To the, to the point where, like, I, I once knew every director of each film, and probably if I sat down and thought about it, I could, but that wouldn't be entertaining. Uh, <laughs> those first several. They do have a consistent look to them to the point where you noticed it right away in Diamonds Are Forever. Like when it does do something different, you're that like, oh shot, wow, that's yeah. different. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It is a cool aesthetic though, that like old timey, uh, old timey to us, Sean Connery 60s kind of thing with like some of those awkward shots and, and, uh, I don't know, just, yeah, like you said, like the color palette's really cool and stuff. Mm. Like he wears powder blue a lot. I don't know if there he was didn't much. in this one. Yeah, no. there's no blue. It's also weird to spend so much time in America. Have you uh, seen Fear and Loathing? I don't think you have. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's right, I think that film takes place in 72, and this is 71. Hmm. And they go to Circus Circus in Fear and Loathing, and oh, it takes yeah. place in the same period as this. Oh, that's right. And they look so different, obviously. The, the aesthetic in Fear and Loathing is obviously very different, but it's the exact same era. Hmm. So Vagus in Fear and Loathing is the same Vagus as this one, which is I kept thinking of that while we were watching it. Hmm. And there are some very similar colors and similar shots to outside of Vagus. Obviously, they're not stoned under their mind the whole time. <laughs> it's shot with that kind of filter, but <laughs> the circus was a really cool set. Actually, speaking about that, like very, it captured the chaos. I want to yeah, say yeah. like really well and like you, how much was going on. You know how we're often like. They clearly hired somebody, and they didn't quite figure out how to use it, but God damn it, we're going to use it. You know, that was the case when they got the elephant. <laughs> They're like, damn it, we had this elephant rented, and we haven't used him yet. Bring him in, we'll have him operate the slot machine. Did the elephant operate the slot machine? Yeah, his trunk pulled the thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I missed that moment. <laughs> if it was a, if it was like a Roger, Roger Moore one, that would be like a whole like shot with some slide yeah, whistle probably. or something. Then he would have got on the elephant and yeah. rode away. Ridden it out. Yeah. yeah. And it would have been him dressed as the gorilla in the cage instead of the... <laughs> well, now that you mentioned that, that's probably a nod to this one, perhaps. Yeah, it could be, I guess. Because, yeah. like, so we will Octopussy, again, the one you've seen, uh, there's a big circus... Thing in that and we were just there right now we're back yeah. at the circus yeah that's right. right yeah yeah we're going to the circus he said ah, damn it i was just there a few months ago stopped a nuke from going off actually well in my personal headcanon with our chronology he was like oh like i i remember being at the circus recently so yeah because he yeah. suggested to tiffany or whatever that's so right yeah go to the circus do you feel like since you've seen them all so many times do you feel like um you know though for a f- first-time viewer, the plot seems so convoluted that they're really more f- formulaic than than um, on first viewing. Or like, like it, it, do you know? Is it like a simple pattern that that the stories kind of follow, and they just kind of like insert like specific plot devices? You mean is that why I can understand it because of the? Um, I, I guess I mean like you know, is is there like is could you describe like a an essential formula that all the plots kind of follow? Uh sure, probably. So, 
You mean comparing it to like the three act structure or whatever? It's okay. Uh, Mini mission, title sequence, get a new mission, uh, find out a little hint about the mission. Is that that's about 30, 40 minutes. Bond gets his mission, goes out to start to investigate that mission. Almost is on the trail, thinks he finds out something, and then it shifts gears. You're usually introduced to the actual villain around that point. Uh, Hmm. And then there's usually some kind of twist again later. Oftentimes. Well, you know, I say there's a consistent formula, but... There's just so there's so many specific things that happen over and over again. So in this case, like for example, it was about smuggling, right? But then it wasn't about smuggling. That's happened in three or four ones we've seen so far. It's it's Goldfinger. Again. Yeah. Um, the other thing is there's a woman uh, who isn't important and gets killed, right? Like I mean, this time she was just thrown into a pool. This right, is plenty right. of yeah, tool. Yeah, plenty of tool in most movies is dead. Like there yeah. isn't a pool at the bottom exactly. of the yeah. yeah. And then there's some other woman who's consistent, which was Tiffany Case in this case. Yeah. In this case. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there's also often hench people, right? Like this we had the um, Mr. Wit and Mr. Kid. Exactly. And you know how at the end, after everything's over, they try to fight him again? That that's really typical. That the hench yeah, people the, or hench person outlive. Although we didn't see Blofeld die. Blofeld is still at large. Yes. Yeah, no. But for still, sure. it's it's after the end of the movie, the hench person often comes back for one last fight. Like Bond thinks he's all good. And then, yeah. yeah. And it's always pretty quick. It's like a 45 second, 45 second uh, filled with some kind of, oftentimes, a joke, like in this one. I was going to say, mm-hmm. it's like the final henchman like fight, often silly, because this one was pretty silly. Yeah. yeah. It's like the punctuation mark at the like end of with, the movie, uh, kind of. Teehee in uh, in Live and Let Die with the with the claw arm, how they well, fought on the train, and I think Mountains. of Knickknack a lot too. Yes, Knickknack, uh, of course. Man with the golden gun was it? Yeah, yeah. So so it's not that necessarily the plot or the skeleton is super formulaic, but there's so many elements that are just mirror versions of each other right. that you start to catch on, like oh, but this is going to be the consistent woman, or like you sure, know. it is like that. It's like. Uh, I don't even know what to compare it to. I'm not quick enough at my uh, metaphors tonight. It's mm. just it. All of those factors get you comfortable for the story. That you're like, okay, there's mm. that. There's all these things that you grow to be familiar with. But even it, it is hard to define the plot structure of a Bond film. But even the plots do quite. There's like four or five different plots of the 24 movies. If you yeah. break it down, they're often quite similar. Mm. Yes, yeah. and but like one of the things they share is being confusing and convoluted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of. And there's a lot of misdirection and stuff. Right. Yeah, but uh, uh, the way I like to think about it lately is a lot of the time Bond's just kind of gaining intel, right? Because mm. he's a spy, so he's just kind of like gaining information. Like in this time, uh, he was just undercover a bunch, just like yeah. learning stuff. Yeah. Kinda. You, so yeah, if you keep in mind that I'm pretty sure you're only meant to understand as much as Bond is at that time. So throughout most of this movie, he didn't really know what was going on. When he finally got to what he thought was Mr. White's... Was that his name? Mr. Yeah. Mr. White's from the later ones. Anyway, it doesn't matter. When he's at the moon-based thing out in the desert, uh, he infiltrates and poses as that guy from Section G to get information from that guy. And that's when we start to figure out what's going on, too, as Bond does. When he's in there, remember when he's wearing the lab coat and pretending to check on the radiation shields or whatever, and then that professor guy is 
he's eavesdropping on him to understand. So we're learning information as he is. So we're seeing it from his point of view. Right. Mm. And maybe that's, maybe they do it on purpose. It's a device to show you how confusing it is to be an agent. You mentioned that there's often misdirection. Is it in, in the format of red herrings, would you say? Sometimes. Do they ever purposefully throw you off? I, um, there's, it, again, if you only watch one or one or two every couple of years, you would think it is. But it's also a part of the formula. Like, you can tell a bad guy. You know when there's a hench person. Sometimes they're, at the start, playing a good guy. But you can almost always tell it's actually a bad guy. It's not really a red herring, I wouldn't say. Mm. Like, it's pretty transparent who's bad or when the woman's going to... Actually, the only... Well, the women get away with it sometimes when there's a bad female character. I was going to say that... There was kind of red herring in Octopussy. It's funny that that movie keeps coming up, but uh, Octopussy herself is first shown as kind of a Blofeld-esque villain, right. and then she kind of turns pretty quickly. Yeah, she's and becomes like a she's bad light. Like she's a international diamond smuggler kind of or gold yeah. what, jewelry smuggler. Yeah, but that's not yeah. really bad. She but then she becomes an ally more than yeah, anything. yeah, totally. Yeah, right. so so. Yeah, not so so plainly red herrings, but yeah, misdirection in a bunch of different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. I um, I I'm gonna try to tie this to it because it's similar to what we're talking about. Uh, Quentin Tarantino was on Mark Maron's show this morning. I listened to that, and he had some Maron had some questions about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Do you see that? Yeah, mm-hmm. about like random set pieces that are in the movie or random uh, pieces of the set. Like he has a billboard in their driveway and it's never explained where it came from. And there's like cool little things hidden everywhere. And like the careful observer is trying to figure it all out. And Marin was asking him about some of these and Tarantino's like, I'm at your house right now getting this interview. I don't need to know why you have that thing on your wall. I don't, you know, it's not real if characters in the scene explain everything. It's just meant mm. to be there, and you're supposed to figure it out on your own if you want or not, and just pay attention to the story. Mm. And I really like that, and that's what I, I, I've said on this podcast many times. I hate exposition dialogue, and you don't get that very often in Bond movies. Mm. And that's sort of what we're, like it's often confusing because there isn't any of that. Like Bond just goes from one one place to another, oftentimes without even checking in on M or anything. Like he's mm-hmm. just you have to really be paying attention and be like up to speed on all of his spy craft. Like sometimes there will be no dialogue for ten minutes and it's just him walking through a villain's lair and he's like checking in on things, writing down some things, using a gadget, and all he'll have done is take a picture of something out of a safe. And then the next scene, he's in an entirely other city where they're, you're introducing all these new characters, and there's no dialogue there. You had to be paying attention to all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons I love it, but it's also frustrating because you don't understand what the hell's going on. But then again, <laughs> full circle, that's why I love it. That's why I keep watching them. Right. <laughs> and at the same time, there is still that surface level of action scenes and, and you know, yeah, looking you, cool and, you know. Looking totally freaking cool. Yeah. Pretty Man, when he hopped on that on the roof of the elevator to go to the top of the yeah the building and there's a slow pan out as he's just sort of leaning against the elevator with the you know rose in his lapel and his hair's blown in the wind that, that was, was a of, really cool shot yeah, yeah that was one of the coolest shots in this one yeah yeah he's still pretty cool he's not as cool as he is early there's i don't know what it is but like i found this was just like a solid 
Connery oh. movie. I didn't feel like it was late or old or... You didn't find him too old? Not compared to Raji, I guess. <laughs> no, no, that's the thing. Like, he still looks good. I found he looked older in You Only Live Twice. Just in... Really? Just, like, how I felt about it. I, I find he looks so much older in this one. I don't know. I think I... I've hated on this one too long that I have a bad filter when I watch it. Mm -hmm. And there were, I know I often forgive a lot of the egregious moments, but the Winton kid thing. And I really like them. Oh, me too. They're yeah. great. But the homophobia coming through it, like, like how they only made like one, like a couple references, the him getting excited about the little flip that bond gave him at the end was definitely a nod to that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> but, like, they're not saying that, you know, gay people are bad or something. It's just that these people are gay. And, like, that's a yeah. joke, I guess. I guess. And, it, yeah. This I feel like the woo is kind of, like, maybe, like, contributes to the idea that gay people are, like, hypersexual and... Yes, exactly. Yeah. And no matter what, like, oh, you're about to kill me, but that still feels good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. But yeah. um, but I guess that's just one way to read it. They are otherwise pretty great. Like they're I mean, they're a kind of campy that I can get on board with a little bit. It's cute that they're like holding hands, walking away, doing their <laughs> yeah. murder. Did, did you like them as hench people? <laughs> Not particularly. Um, you know, I, I I didn't really like find them to be like like terribly interesting characters. They kind of just. I found the. I don't know which one's which, I don't think. Uh, Mr. Kid is the long hair one. Uh, he's interesting. She's quite pretty, you know, for a lady. <laughs> and how pissed Mr. Wint was at that comment. That's funny. That's yeah. So, do you guys want to talk specifically about this pre-title sequence? Uh, <laughs> oh, like I said, uh, right when we started watching, I forgot to mention, uh, yeah, the boob. There's a boob. There's, There's a boob in it. Yeah. Well, who's, whose boob is it? When, the, when he, like, strangles the lady with her bikini top. Oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> like, how did they miss that in editing? It's a PG movie. Oh, no, this one's actually PG-14, says on the back. But that rating didn't exist in 71. Eh, eh whatever. It's Maybe funny. he got the 14 because of the nipple? Uh, <laughs> could be. I thought it was cool because this was... Lazenby did one, and then uh, Connery came back. And yeah. It was kind of a reveal to, like... It was just his voice at first, right? And yeah, no shot yeah. of Connery. Yeah. So there was a reveal to that, which was cool. And the first shot was kind of where we left Connery, back in Japan. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And about looking for Blofeld. So the end of the last movie that we watched, the end of the last Connery movie, uh, Blofeld had just escaped. And Bond had saved... Again, the superpowers from going to war to each other, mm -hmm. <laughs> war with each other, and yeah, Blofeld escapes. So presumably, this one picks up right there, and he's still looking for mm -hmm. Blofeld. So in Japan, and I, I thought it was funny that it was a different actor playing Blofeld the last time, uh, and so Blofeld got reconstructive surgery or whatever yeah, this yeah. time around. Yeah, mm. so it's like baked into the plot that it's a different. Exactly. I kind of like that. It makes the continuity like solid, right? Yeah, and we're gonna have to. Well, spoiler alert a little bit. Blofeld is, again, as I've said, that's why we're doing Honor Majesty Secret Service next, because it's almost wrapped up, the Blofeld stuff, at least for these early ones. He's in it again. Mm -hmm. So we can we can explain away that it's a different actor because he's now doing facial reconstruction surgery, but I don't know how he doesn't know who Bond is. And there is a scene where they meet, and he doesn't know that it's Bond. So in this next, the, yeah. which is the Lazenby one, yeah. he doesn't know who Bond is, even though... 
they've met. In our yeah. chronology, they've met. Well, also and even, in the release one, yeah, they yeah. had just done a but whole But Bond is undercover, so maybe he's just better through Blofeld's eyes at being undercover than he than he is from our eyes. Okay. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll talk about that next week. Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. It's... Again, it's it's so weirdly edited. It's got horrible ADR. It's got the cheesiest, weirdest baby shit special effect with that clay stuff and the water pistol. And it feels rushed. I don't know. It's a. I think that's another reason I don't like the movie. It starts out so crazy. I like the song a lot, but I don't really care for the pre-title sequence. I, I, how do you feel? <laughs> like I said, I, I really like how it picked up, especially just watching You Only Live Twice. It was like a direct sequel in a lot of ways. And, and I like that we got Blofeld again. The, the weird thing is that Blofeld quote-unquote dies at the beginning, but I guess that's kind of a, a symmetry to James Bond dying at the beginning of the last one. Yeah. The same thing. They faked Bond's death death at the end of the pre-title sequence in You Only Live Twice, the one we just watched. So you're right, mm-hmm. that is some good symmetry. I This is like the happiest I've been about our chronology yet. This is where it actually is fun, because that's another reason I don't like Diamonds Are Forever. Coming off on Her Majesty's Secret Service, this one is extra horrible. But coming mm-hmm. off You Only Live Twice, it actually does it works flow. really well. It I flows feel. really well together, mm-hmm. yeah. Any thoughts on that pre-title sequence, Michael? Pre-title sequence being before the song and like yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the mini mission. Yeah, yeah, killing Blofeld. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're just confused. <laughs> yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if I can. Yeah, there's not really much to say, especially again. You haven't watched many of these, so there's nothing to compare it to. Yeah, I. Do you like starting a movie that way? Is it kind of a captivating way to get you into, you know... Like what? kind of an unrelated cold open kind of thing? I guess for me, I didn't know that it was unrelated, so it's hard for me to like... And it ended up not really being necessarily, because was, Blofeld yeah. does come back. Yeah. yeah. Especially in the Roger Moore era, and most of the Conneries, right? The Although not with You Only Live Twice, that pre-title sequence had everything to do with the plot. It was when the ships were being captured and Bond faking his death. But mm. oftentimes, the pre-title sequence has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. It's whatever mission he was on before the plot of the movie. So it's just a cold open. Right. Which is a pretty cool device. But Yeah, it's definitely not common in, in films. No, that, that's, like that's a, not anymore, no. That's definitely their niche. And they still do it. Mm. It's, it's in the Craig era. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Mm. What about the song? I, I quite like this Shirley Bassey tune. This one sticks in my head. She does good good songs. She does. Were you into that? Um, yeah, yeah, I liked the song. I kind of thought the title sequence kind of looked like Suspiria with like the neon reds and blues. What's Suspiria? It's um it was it was a film by a Italian director like an art house mm. horror film. Tom York did the music? Oh yeah, the remake, I think. But, oh, uh, it's a remake. Yeah, the original was like was like really dark with just neon reds and blues lighting. So I, I, it uh, made me think a lot of that. Hmm. Cool. I'm gonna jump to gadgets for a minute because I think I have found out on our run through these movies that my favorite gadgets, my favorite use of gadgets, are when we don't have a Q lab scene. When he just like he whipped out a grappling gun, he was Batman all of a sudden. And uh, what else did he have? Oh, his uh. 
when they said take his gun yeah, and the no, guy no. reached in he had like a mouse trap <laughs> i had it exactly written down as a mouse trap yeah yeah that was really good yeah I, and q's in it i still really like q being there but i don't like the reverse engineered gadgets where mm. like there's there's one in actually i really like the movie quite a bit but in well we haven't got there i won't spoil it yet it's in the world is not enough there's a gadget that like okay when the hell would he ever need that and then in the plot the exact thing comes out where he needs it there's another example in this not quite that but where the woman took his fingerprints right when he was undercover as peter franks or whatever like when in how lucky do you have to be for it to line up that the time that you do the fingerprint thing is the time that the woman has a fingerprint scanner in her hotel room or whatever? Why I don't dislike it is we didn't have a scene where Q's like, hey, we just have this brand new thing coming out. Try it out. And then it came up next. It could be that he's been using it for the last several months and then it finally worked. Do you know what I mean? Just every time? Sure. He's just wearing them when he's... I don't know, going undercover, undercover somewhere. All the like, time. It, it could be. You, you have no idea. Like, I don't mm. like when you have a scene of Q explaining how it works, and then two scenes later, he's using it exactly like that. Yeah. But that's that's just another Bond trope. I don't know why I don't like I, I And I also do like that. It's fun. But I really like when he just whips out a gadget. It's more of a surprise, I guess, mm. or a twist. The thing with those grappling hooks is my first thought was that he was putting, like, a Wiimote strap on his, on his wrist for that. <laughs> that's funny. That was funny. I didn't really understand how it worked. Did it like shoot through the concrete and then he pulled himself up? That was a bit confusing, but. Just don't think too hard about yeah, it. Yeah, all right. I can't really remember any. It wasn't a gadget heavy movie, I don't think. The, the voice box was kind of the oh, yeah, repeating that, one. Yeah, yeah. But that that's was, true. That was kind of it. Neither of us are car guys. I always feel like it. that's such a big part of the Bond movies. I only have like one or two cars consistently that I like a lot, and it's like the cliche ones, but. That Ford car, the Mustang's kind of cool, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. And the buggy. I really like the moon buggy. And the it, off-road it, tricycles. <laughs> That's right. Um, we, we talked a little bit about sound during the movie, and um, you were saying that a lot of it is put, put in post. It, you know, is that is that was that due to, like, limitations with, like, sound technology at the time? Or Yeah, again, like I was saying, most films and television prior to this era and still many in this era and even later they were shot in studio they build the studios for sound and they're small sets so they can well you would know more about sound than me it's just they're they're built to capture audio not sound effects typically that's always done in post but i shouldn't say always if they can it's easier to do it there but it's just really hard to capture it and make it sound good but they if you're inside in a studio that you built you can mic it appropriately and try to capture the, uh, people's words as they're saying them, the dialogue as they're saying them. But when they shoot in a casino that they just rent out for the day or like outside in a desert, it's just impossible. So they have to do that in post. There was one scene we were talking about in that big like Russian war room a couple weeks ago yeah. uh, where it's like, where would you put, where would you hide a microphone in this like giant right. room, right? Mm. So it's like really obvious when that's overdubbed and you can tell why and stuff yeah. again an octopusy <laughs> yeah, yeah well that that one again was built though but like you they built that one to scale like a big mm-hmm. magnificent russian war room and it was a really far away shot where there's a guy standing next to a big map explaining his plan and he's giving a speech if you look closely he's not even talking like you can't the, the actor's mouth isn't even moving but yeah. there's all this dialogue happening they, obviously they did that in post yeah because, like you said, where would they stick a mic? Yeah. 
Yeah, sometimes I notice when like the character was like like turned around and like you'd still hear them so loudly. It was kind of like that's. You say you watch a bunch of old movies though. It's quite common. Mm, yeah. Especially uh, westerns. Westerns are always filled with them. Anything that's shot inside, it's all ADR. Yeah, true. And uh, like spaghetti westerns, they've shot in it. Like most people don't even speak English, and they're in these English movies, so it looks like a bad dubbing. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. And as I said, that's yeah, it's so common in these old Bond films. Mm. Like when they're shooting in Europe it's the same thing sometimes they do hire people who I think they are speaking English but the accent is so bad that they hire a different voice actor to dub them mm -hmm. yeah that happens a fair amount speaking of sound did you care for the I didn't really notice the score in this one the note I have for the score is that off-road tricycle situation there was some really nice like plinky stuff yeah but I, I think again with a lot of the movies and the Conneries especially like it's just like good score stuff so you again it's, it's the kind where you don't notice it because it's good because it works with how it's going there wasn't much bond theme in this one and i i noticed the uh, diamonds are forever song mixed in a couple times but yeah oh, i didn't okay. really notice it much besides that one time i pointed out to you that i gotta play it sometime because i keep referring to it's it it's one of the secondary bond themes like it's especially in the connery era yeah. i think it came in goldfinger the first time mm -hmm. and it's been used in quite a few of them yeah did you notice the music at all? Through no, it? not really. To just, be honest. just sound effects. Because yeah. sometimes yeah. it's huge. Mm. Like especially some of the later ones, Skyfall's music is incredible. Uh, yeah, there was one re some recently that I'm trying to think of that was good musically. Yeah, we're both blank. Goldfingers. Goldfinger. There's not a lot of. And I know that was like ten movies ago, but <laughs> it was ten movies ago. Now. Yeah, it was number four, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, Live and Let Die was a big one yeah they, yeah. they oh, used yeah. that and they used that it a riff. bunch yeah a lot yeah um oh one thing i wanted to bring up before we run out of time is i love how much of the cat is in this one <laughs> i think the cat blofeld's cat is like one of my top four favorite characters <laughs> that's in the awesome. franchise Dude, does the villain often have a have a pet blofeld Just does blofeld. Yeah. Okay. well some of the other villains have like fish and sharks they usually shit, have like piranhas and sharks yeah and, yeah and tight not maybe not tigers but no th those just show up in the jungle for bond to tell to sit yeah yeah but there's often animals as as enemies but i love that like the cat's just chilling there's at some point he <laughs> eats bond straight fish. booted it <laughs> oh, i love that i also love that they clone the cat or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. It's so pussy. it's so Austin Powers with uh, like Doctor Evil would definitely clone a Mister Bigglesworth to go with his clone. <laughs> it reminded me a Is lot. Is that the of name that. of the cat in in Austin Powers? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's a reference to that in Hearthstone, that card oh. game I played. Oh yeah, yeah, That's yeah. It's a Mister Bigglesworth. Speaking of that scene, a little bit because then, I when he opened the door to tell Bond to go wait wherever, I thought. He was, it was going to be like Dr. No, where he has a hotel room, and then we're going to have dinner, and I'm going to tell you my whole plot. Mm. But I think another reason I don't like this one, that might be the most over-the-top, elaborate way to not kill Bond. Like, oh, to knock gosh. you out in a hotel, send you to the basement where my hench people are waiting, put you in a trunk, drive you out in the middle of the desert, and... Put you in a pipe. Put you in a pipeline, like a full construction site, and then just close it and send a little electric thing that bond can just stop with his hands well like that thing was just sealing up the pipe right i presume well, what the hell plot is that also just like they they would have noticed some dude hanging in a pipe i 
imagine. Yeah, you would think the guy in the bulldozer, unless yeah, they were yeah. in on it. But like, I but, I can always defend the villain not wanting to kill Bond because he's a noble. Uh, what do you call it? Adversary. Adversary, exactly. Where I want to explain my plot to you and I want to try to turn you because you as an ally would be great. That I can kind of get. But like to send him to be killed off, you know, away from me in this ridiculously elaborate way, it's just so silly. They that's, should just kill him while they can, man. Like, exactly. Like that's one of the best things about Austin Powers when Scott, Dr. Evil's kid, it's like, why do you keep sending him away to be killed by the piranhas? I got a gun in my room. I'll go get it right now. We'll just kill him right here in front of us. Yeah. yeah. Like, imagine if Doctor No, they just like killed him. Yeah. Well, we wouldn't have all. We wouldn't have to do all these movies. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad they're all so so stupid. I mean, that's the other way I defend it is they're psychotic supervillains. So, sure. That that can kind of explain yeah. a lot of things. <laughs> I had a note that I always like to point this out whenever it happens, the stupid CIA. I love how these movies just shit on American police enforcement constantly, law enforcement, particularly the CIA. They had 40 agents watching Tiffany Case. Like, she'll have to be a something to get through us. Tell me you didn't lose her. We lost her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Felix is always pretty solid, and he's a funny character, but... They always laugh at the CIA. Like one British agent comes in and saves the day always, and the CIA is useless. Not to mention the actual police force in Vegas, where like the right. chief is there just being like, "Oh, I think Larry must have got him." And then like he wasn't chief. quite. It was a little nod to what's to come with, with JW. JW Pepper, yeah. yeah, yeah. Did these films ever have to be approved by any like government agency or like CIA or anything? Yeah, it's been well with gold. Finger, they got in some trouble with Fort Knox. They they asked for like replicas and blueprints to build an a an accurate Fort Knox, and they were just straight up denied and had to make up a whole new one because they wanted nothing to do with it. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. There's been a few stories about those complications. There's a good story about that in a movie to come. Mm. <laughs> but like, wh where would you think in this one would they have needed permission? Oh, I don't know. I was recently talking to someone about the Marvel movies and how they would need approval from, like, the, the army. And uh, I was just wondering if um, uh, how this portrays, like, you know, like, government like agencies. LVPD kind of thing. Like, yeah, it yeah. could be. Um, yeah, they explicitly use, like, the American army in these Marvel movies. And it's pseudo-advertisements for them. Right. Like, yeah. I'm sure they're affiliated and get script approval because it's very pro-America those movies right so they're, they're probably much more involved mm. the, these movies are you know they're fantasy and it's a little bit propaganda like there's always a man behind the scenes who's going to save the day but it's not like those Marvel movies true yeah. well the things that we've talked about is one a lot of them have taken place during the Cold War so there's some kind of Russian uh, perspective and and it's usually handled well in these movies where the Russians aren't just straight up the bad guys they're usually meaning well some of them uh, and then the other thing specifically last week was we had uh, to like cigarettes were kind of subtly pushed like the villains were like cigarettes are bad and all the good guys were like yeah you can smoke yeah, some you cigarettes smoke. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I really that was really funny yeah I do continue to love that about this series there's no cold war stuff in this one but yeah it's a good point like Russia they don't it's not like american 
action movies where America always saves the day. Britain sure saves the day, but it's always Bond uncovering that it wasn't actually Russia behind it. It was some lone terrorist or evil capitalist um, tycoon who's trying to get those superpowers to go to war. Almost always. Or a rogue general. Usually some version of like money is the enemy. Yeah. The money or power. It's not really like Russia or like... It's not communists. Yeah. It's either a rogue, power-hungry, tyrannical general or, yeah, an industrialist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which surprises people because from the outside, you might think that these are just... Some kind of propaganda Pro-Britain or yeah. even America, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other, like, thoughts or ideas? We haven't talked about the ladies much. Oh, man. Yeah, I was going to bring that up um i didn't think there was anything like particularly intelligent or complex about any of the lady characters tiffany case kind of went up and down there were a few scenes where she was super capable and cool like the last act wasn't good for her Mm. or even the climax i guess but throughout most of it i found her pretty solid especially when he first met her i liked her in amsterdam there's some kind of trope, it seems, that during the last kind of action fight scene, the Bond girl just, like, kind of fucks up. Yeah, yeah. I don't know it's why true. that's a trope, but Yeah, it is. The ones I've seen have all you had knit. fuck-ups. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like she uh, switched the tapes out. A man with the golden gun, she hits yeah. her ass into the laser thing. Um, Living Daylights, she, like, just is oh, yeah. useless the whole time in yeah. the end action scene. And same with this, she, like, falls off the boat. Yeah. 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 Oh my god, yeah, she can't handle a machine gun. Uh, yeah, well, how come... Why Why do they, you know, have that trope of, like, you know, the, maybe the, this character who who isn't, like, just, you know, a clumsy, like, unintelligent character, but at the end, like, fucks something up for Bond? Yeah, I don't know. They didn't in... Uh, didn't happen in From Russia With Love or Dr. No... Or Goldfinger. It didn't happen in the first three. Those were all good. Uh, I mean, the lady was captured the whole time in Dr. No. Remember, she was uh, pinned to that cement bit as the tide was coming in. So she didn't really do much. She didn't get in the way. But uh, Tanya didn't get in the way. And from Russia with Love. Pussy Galore helped save the day. Yeah. Thunderball. I don't really remember the lady. She she helped. Uh, yeah. Kissy Suzuki didn't really screw anything up, did she? She almost, she actually. Yeah, she was good, but yeah, then she, she died. <laughs> she, she got died. poisoned. Yeah. No, well, who's the one he pseudo married? Oh Wasn't no, that's that? Kissy Suzuki. Yeah, exactly. You're right, you're right. Yeah. No, sorry, I was she almost got captured, that. but she didn't. So it's not. It happens more with the more ones. Again, the more ones are not good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it. Maybe this is the one that actually starts it because it doesn't happen from Russia with Love, or sorry, in uh, Majesties either. Mm-hmm. So I think this is the first time that trope actually happens. She was otherwise good until the end. Yeah, she was pretty strong. Oh my god, her E at the end when Mr. Kid was moving in slow motion with the flaming skewers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. What the hell? Man. I mean, that was just a ridiculous fight scene. Like, I could have dodged that. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, yeah, her little screw up there. I mean, it doesn't really like add much to it. They just kind of resolve it like two minutes later. That whole climax is fucking weird. We need this tape, and it alluded to the tape like an hour before. It's supposed to be a big deal, and really, the whole time I could have just blown up this main room like we've done in every other movie. Like you didn't need the tape because they never used the tape in the end. He just used 
friggin' Blofeld as a, what do you call it, a wrecking ball to take the place out. It was a little bit unclear because he switched the tape, then she switched the, switched the tape, and then she was going to switch it back, and maybe she did. We don't know for sure, really, because it was... But the countdown was still going until Bomb... Yeah, it's a really confusing yeah, really climax. Confused. And I thought it was so... It was silly, and I liked it that he used Blofeld as a wrecking ball. Because it's like... <laughs> After all this that he's gone through, he's already killed this guy from his perspective, right? Like, yeah. uh, and he's like, just take this machine gun. I'm having fun here. Like, hold them <laughs> yeah. back. I just want to knock him uh, around a bit. <laughs> I was gonna, I was ready to be excited that, bon like, before he hopped up into the crane and he saw that Blofeld was about to escape and the countdown was happening. In most movies, Bond goes to the control room and saves the day. But in this one, he goes up to the crane to fuck with Blofeld. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Like, there's a countdown. There's one minute left. You would think, go to the control room, stop that, and then maybe try to get Blofeld. Mm -hmm. That would be, in my opinion, the better ending. Pretty responsible. But, yeah. We can say it's like, you know, Sean Connery's last one. He's like, I want to have some fun before yeah. I'm out of here. Let me play with the crane. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um. The other women I wrote down, because, I mean, Plenty O'Toole didn't really do anything, uh, was I did kind of like Bambi and Thumper. I did for a second, but there was that shot when whichever uh, one, one was, of them was like, strangling him. Yeah. And I, like, it looked like that's all it was, but then it was almost like Mortal Kombat where you need to do a bunch of moves to, like, build up a superpower. That's yeah. what it looked like the other one was You're doing. Pressing, like, A, B, X, X, Y, exactly. X, Y, A, B, power <laughs> up. And then a big kick. Yeah. Oh, that was, I don't know. I was uncomfortable, that whole scene. I thought that was pretty funny. I don't know. Did, did you like them as characters? No, not particularly. No. Bizarre. <laughs> I mean, kind of hot and fun. It was funny. Yeah, I, I just thought I it was... I like Bond getting his ass kicked by women, but then he just... <laughs> even that was kind of funny, him just dunking them. Yeah. <laughs> but why would they throw him in the pool and then chase him in only to get their ass kicked in the pool? Well, they obviously didn't intend that. Oh, I, I don't know. They had him. Oh, it was a weird scene. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty, like, random. Just be like, oh, yeah, we just have, like, Bambi and Thumper are these two security guards or whatever. <laughs> Those are three great names, though. Plenty of tool, Bambi, and Thumper. <laughs> yeah, uh, Tiffany Case isn't really that funny. No, it was just she was born in Tiffany's. You caught that, right? She was oh, born on the... That's right. While her mother was shopping for an engagement ring. Is that Something she, like that. Something or some like kind that. of ring. She was born at Tiffany's. That's it. And it has to do with, you know, Tiffany sells diamonds. They're forever. Oh, okay. But it's not like a sexual innuendo, I don't think. Are, are the female characters in Bond movies, like, always, like, sexy? I would say, um, you, you mean their names, or are they just always sexy? No, they're like, um... I would say their names. almost always sexy, yeah. Hmm. In some way, some are much... I mean, that's a taste thing, obviously. In my opinion, I think they're but cast they're, very they're, well. They're but they're shown conventionally to be. as yeah. conventionally sexy. Well, Even, but sometimes not. I mean, like, they push boundaries for that, for sure. And they, they take risks with some of the characters, but... I feel like all the ones I've seen, they're, they're like, very slim woman, like, half-naked, and, like, zoom-ins well, on, on their curves, and... Yeah, they don't like clothes very much. But then, it, but the... But he's the same. People often forget about that, too. It's not like Bond is often wearing a lot of clothes in these movies. Like, it's a sexual movie. It's in the middle of the sexual revolution. It's free love and shit. Like they, well, he's wearing a the, suit most of the time. Depending on the movie. Yeah. Thunderball was the swimsuit edition. Exactly. I think, like, the, the surface advertisement for Bond is, like, like, look at this 
cool guy with all his cool gadgets doing his like competent stuff with all these sexy women yeah. and explosions and action like it's kind of that is supposed definitely to be just cool as hell or whatever yeah and the which women includes are, sexy women right yeah. women are a part of it it's very it's like the lifestyle sex positive which is the way i try to spin it when people say it's sexist i think that's conservative hmm. that's a conservative opinion like the women in this typically have a lot of agency when it comes to sex they seem to want it too and it's like i said this is in the middle of that is post mm-hmm. is just a couple years out of the summer of love like that's when it's okay for a woman to just want to have sex with a guy it's that's a new thought then but it shouldn't be i don't know so disconcerting to us now and it's not always manipulative and uh what's the word like or something or harmful mm. like mm. that's almost sexist too presuming that they're always being taken advantage of is also sexist so women like sex yeah <laughs> there is a few times that it's it at least comes across as that they don't want it they like say I'm no very aware like, of yeah. we three men discussing this with a woman right now but from what i gather women yeah uh never mind i, I can't even make jokes without a woman here to respond to but Heather's nodding in the background. She approves. <laughs> I don't know how do you. You've, it, yes, it comes off awkward sometimes, but again, I think that's our modern filter. No, but I, I mean, this is just getting like off topic in the way of just referring to things we talked about before. But there's there's at least a handful where I don't think it's just the modern filter. Ever like, do you remember? Um, Thunderball? <laughs> was it the, it was Thunderball in the spa lady yeah, yeah. one? That's like, the one I'm thinking That one's most. and we agree, that yeah. one was one of the worst. Yeah. She's but later on in that movie we disagreed about like some of the moves he plays on well, women and, who are playing along. And I kind of I won't say you convince me, but I'm like I'm more open to that for sure. Yeah, like yeah. I again I think some things are more okay than others. Right, right. right? Like there's And sometimes you gotta remember th- these characters don't know there's an audience watching. Stuff that they do in a bedroom might not be the, exactly yeah, the kind of thing that we should show everybody and encourage that kind of behavior. Well, but that, not encouraging that kind of behavior is the thing that you know, conservatives want you to they don't control what people should do. Yeah, in that's the, the argument for the the bedroom thing. The, the the bedroom thing. There's some kind of flirtatious thing that happens later that was a bit. We, we had a conversation about it, but there's this also really not controversial thing where he blackmails a woman into yeah. having sex with him, basically. Basically, and it, yeah, and that one's not good. No, and there's not really any way to spin it. No, like even if that was the norm, that sucks. That's one of those things that is is still in many cases normal and is horrible. Like that is a bad case. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Entirely, that's like a power dynamic, blackmailing. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. But yeah, some weird. Dommy flirtation things. Yeah. Less egregious in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, To put it in context for this movie, there wasn't really anything too weird, right? He slapped a girl at one point, but that was contextually... Yeah, it is what it is. (laughs) This is 20 years after, in every... Whenever there was a fight, someone got a glass of water thrown in their face. People did things different back then. (laughs) Did did you find anything weirdly dated or cringy in in that kind of way or similar to that? Um, That took you out of it, maybe? Nothing like nothing too insane. I mean, I guess I, I guess like, just like, uh, I often thought that how um, a lot of the, the the lady characters were shown was 
I don't like to say female characters. Like I, I feel like I've don't worry about it. I've read people say that like saying female is like is, is you're awkward. you're in a you're in a safe place. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I guess like as like objects of desire by being like just in a pair of under panties and bra. But she was trying to seduce him. And again, aren't we a little like look at what. What's her face wears in the mar- like uh, Scarlett Johansson wears? Sure, it's full leather and you don't see a lot of skin, but it is skin tight. Right. But they still do it. That's not a time thing. It, yeah, I agree. It's not great, but it's not like that's a dated thing. Yeah. It still happens constantly. If anything, I think men should also have to wear tiny swimsuits. <laughs> and he often does. He wears some shorty shorts. Yeah, but like all the other hench people don't. You know, they should all. Yeah, but that doesn't put asses in seats the way pretty ladies do. Uh, yeah. It might be more popular now, but at the time, people were pretending to not like that. For example, yeah, Bambi and Thumper are yeah just wearing bathing suits, being being hench people in some right, extent. Right, where right. like those mobster dudes are just all wearing suits. Why can't they like a part of? Well, one of the things that makes Bond so cool is his sexuality. That is a part of his arsenal is his ability to seduce people, and that's a thing with women in this universe. Most of the men who get defeated are lame people in who who couldn't pull that off but the a part of the women hench like a part of their again arsenal i guess is, is their, their sexuality yeah is we their, had that in this movie with tiffany case who you know convinced blofeld that she flipped basically right. which i'm i'm sure like her attractiveness maybe played into that cuz even blofeld makes some comment about her her ass her ass yeah. yeah that was very much like goldfinger too pussy galore going back and forth yeah yeah what were you thinking michael Oh no, um, you know, not that, not that I, you know, think that. Um, I, I guess I was just trying to to, to process, you know, you know, how, how sexist this movie is or isn't. You know, it, it's not, it's not like so clear to me, like just on one viewing. No. You know, I would have to hear other perspectives and and it, think about it. It certainly comes up a lot. We're that's one of the things we're trying to. One of the through lines of this podcast is trying to figure out because that is one of the things it's known for Bond, and I don't. And I definitely concede when it is pretty bad. But even on this time through, watching it with... You're very sensitive to this kind of thing. And none of us who have, you know, compassion these days can't see can't see it everywhere. But I, I really don't think it's as egregious as it comes off. I think that some of the coolest female characters ever in this series. Okay. And that we do have a tendency to overcorrect that there is definitely some correcting needed a hundred percent but like we you can take it too far where it's almost sexist for us to always assume that like you're taking away the agency of some of these female characters and actors by saying oh put put a blanket on oh you don't need to do that here let me open this door like we're condescending to women at a certain point Hmm. but it's more about like the the way it's presented in terms of like maybe the because it's the it's not like the women actresses are choosing to, you know, be scantily clad or whatever. It's like the the writers, the producers, the directors right, are saying, sure. "We want to sell, like, we want to make money, so take your shirt off." Kind yeah, of yeah. Thing. Which yeah. is that's the problematic thing. But that wasn't at that period. It wasn't just that. That was what was set. women were. Well, I'm sure it, it's true hit. now too. Like, <laughs> sex sells. That's still true. But I mean, there were women in the streets demanding this type of thing in the late '60s. Demanding that they not be no sorry not just that not the stereotypical scantily clad crap, but to have 
the choice to be sexy if they yeah. want or not if they want that their body is their body it's not up to well and that's kind of the duality of it that we can look back <laughs> this at, is a, yeah, yeah it's it's a bit of a mind fuck we can look back at the about. bond movies and say like of course objectifying women is kind of you know not something you should do like they shouldn't be reduced to objects no right but at the same but again, time rare the, that that's when, the case the women have agency is what i was gonna Sorry. say that's the flip side of that yeah in a lot of these cases like, right, because if you again look at some kind of modern movies, it, sometimes it's often rare to have women, like main women characters with agency, right? And we get a lot of that in Bond. It's like a Bond trope. Yeah, it's one of the things you look for: is a strong femme fatale or a strong leading female. Yeah, yeah. Often, like the, it should be the first. I understand that. And we have a long way to go. But uh, the secondary character, like the second amount of dialogue, is typically female. And that never happens in any other movie. You usually have five male ca- characters with dialogue before you get to a female. Often. Mm-hmm. We, See, we should... Uh, wrap it up? Yeah, we should wrap it up at this point. Who would have thought we would get into sexism and diamonds are forever, for crying out loud? <laughs> we need to have Sexism something to talk about. Forever, it, it is, unfortunately. <laughs> Any more thoughts, feelings? You're just still processing, Michael. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, <laughs> I have any opening or any closing thoughts from you two that I can add on to? I don't really have anything off the top of my head. Do right you now. have any? Would you want to watch more Bond? Are you curious about old Bond to compare this one to 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 have something to compare this one to? Yeah, you know, I would be into, you know, you like selecting a few that you think would would uh, be more up my alley. Like happy to. <laughs> <laughs> like this yeah. one, I don't, I don't know if this one was, you know, my my cup of tea so much. It was, no. yeah. I knew that you uh, you love movies, so and I really wanted a guest for this one, hmm. so that's why I chose you for this one because. Sorry for that. That's oh, not no, a great no. one. But I knew that you would... T- Some people would just be like, what the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> but you will at least look for something cool in it and put it in its context and all that. Some people would just be to hell with this. <laughs> what the hell did I just do? I feel like I always recommend From Russia With Love, but I would recommend From Russia With Love. Which is Maybe Dr. No. F- do the first two. Do Dr. No and From Russia Dr. With no Love. Dr. No is not as good as you think it is. <laughs> I've, I've heard that before. Yeah. But it's such a... From Russia With Love is a direct sequel basically it's not necessary yeah i mean you if you want to watch two watch those two maybe Mm, for the old ones yeah yeah if you just want want to watch one do from russia with love yeah i agree if you had to if you were just going to do one i would do that one too Mm -hmm. is that the one you're watching next no No, those are the first two connery ones the first two in general yeah 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 Yeah, they're very good good from russia with love is like just an awesome 60s spy movie. It's really good. I think it's, it's tight. still my number one Bond so far. Cool. Yeah. I'll definitely watch that one. It was my number one for a That's long time. One out of 14 for me, so <laughs> it's pretty high. I would say out of the ones we've watched, it's It and Goldfinger are, my, are in the top of the ones we've watched. Goldfinger's not so high for me. Octopussy's very high for me. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I think I put it at 21 or 22 out of 24. Octopussy? Yeah. Man, it's probably like number two or three for me. (laughs) That's why I love these movies. (laughs) All right. Well, um, before I forget, everyone follow us at 007 Bon Voyage on Twitter and Instagram and at 007 Bon Voyage at gmail.com. 
Yeah, maybe Michael, you can come back sometime. I don't know if we have a lot of room left for. You'll be at the. Uh, we're tentatively planning the episode after No Time to Die, which is the one that comes out this fall. We might do like a wrap, like a season finale, where we have all of our guests come back and just randomly sit in to chat a little bit to see if they've watched any other movies or something. And we're gonna do like cocktails of Bond. Oh yeah, that something sounds like fun. That. Maybe. Yeah. I totally stole that from another podcast, but whatever. It sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, I'd be into that. All right. Well, you're welcome. Anytime. Cool. Uh, bon Voyage will return in Honor Majesty's Secret Service next week. Can we start doing that? <laughs> well, no, well, we close the podcast by saying oh, Bon that's Voyage. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, that too. All right. Yeah. Well, Bon Voyage, everybody. Bon Voyage. Bon Voyage. Bon voyage.